Welcome to City Talks by Ford. Conversations with experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions. Hey everyone, welcome back to City Talks by Ford. Conversations with the experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions. I'm your host, Andrew Winston, speaker, advisor, and co-author of the book Net Positive. And we've got a really interesting show planned for today. Throughout this whole season, we've explored facets of mobility in our cities and even in the air above the cities. But today we talk about starships, or sort of. Joining me is Ryan Tui, Senior VP of Business Development, Sales, and Government Relations for Starship Technologies, which specializes in building self-driving delivery robots. He's here to discuss the intricacies and predictions for automated delivery. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, this will be really interesting. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been watching some videos about your business and seeing what you guys do. It's fun. So let's just start with the basics. The name of your business is Starship Technologies, which is really evocative. Tell me what you guys do. What's what's it about? Well, in 2014, our co-founders, who also founded Skype, which I think everybody's familiar with, set upon disrupting the last mile of distribution in a way that would be better for the environment. And that means both ecologically in terms of global warming, but also in terms of urban congestion. So really invented this category of the sidewalk self-driving delivery robot back in 2014. Fast forward, now we're fully operational in five countries, seven days a week. We've made over two and a half million commercial deliveries. So those aren't test runs. Those are real people paying real money to get something they want delivered to them, usually on demand. So we're out there, we have about 1,500 robots, we do about 10,000 deliveries every single day across our business, and, and obviously we're very interested in, in growing that. I've seen some of the videos, I, I encourage people who, uh, to go check it out. I describe it or think of it as like a kind of taller, thicker like Roomba. Like I just got a Roomba for the first time at home and I can't believe how much fun I have with it, it even though it's silly. I could vacuum much quicker on my own, but just setting it and watching its intelligence is pretty amazing, actually. So this looks like a much smarter, taller room. But maybe you can describe kind of what it looks like and what a typical use looks like for someone when they order something. What, is it, what does it look like? Absolutely. You know, we hear a cooler on wheels, or in Australia, they call it an esky, right? A cooler on wheels. <laughs> it was intentionally designed to be no wider than the width of the human shoulders. It's relatively small, you know, weighs about 50 pounds, but it can hold. It's mostly all cargo space on the inside. So it can hold three really full shopping bags, no problem, right? So if you're thinking about what can I get in this in terms of takeaway food or something like that, I mean, you could feed an office, let alone a family with what fits in these things. Yet on the sidewalk, they just take up their sort of side of the sidewalk and they look non-threatening. They move at a maximum of about four miles an hour. So it's about a brisk walk when they get going. So and they have six wheels, six wheel drive. So that's really important. They can climb over curbs. They can get through snow, rain, hail, anything like that. That's very cool. And the width, you said the width of a human shoulder. So that was purposely so they can kind of fit where people would walk and not disturb? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So how do people, you know, order one? They they get on an app 
And what are they typically getting? It's food deliveries. Is that the main thing? It depends where in the world we're talking about. Here in the United States, we do a lot of food deliveries. We're present on a lot of college campuses, universities across the United States, whereas we go over to England in the United Kingdom, we're partnered with major grocers, Tesco and co-op, and we do a lot of groceries. And then we have some other things that we do, industrial components, et cetera, in Germany and Denmark. But we do primarily food, primarily groceries and takeout food. It sounds like it's easy and kind of fun. So people listening probably are somewhat familiar with, you know, last mile, what that means and kind of talking about delivery trucks and things. Maybe just give us a little perspective on kind of last mile and why that market, you know, was kind of interesting. You thought there was a need. Can you talk a little bit about what the last 50 feet means? There's a, people say there's a dilemma about the last 50 feet. What, is, what does that mean? More and more, we're having things brought to us. You know, Amazon has started this revolution a long time ago. Prime, this expectation that I go on my computer and it comes to me rather than I get in my car and I go get it, right? So now we have all these things coming to me. Now, fast forward, I don't want them coming to me next week. I don't want them coming to me tomorrow even. I want them coming to me right now. When you have the need to get something right now where the, the commercial demand for something to be delivered Right now, that's usually a one-off delivery, right? And where does that apply? That applies to like groceries you want for tonight's dinner. That applies to food you want to eat for your meal now. So you now have a human in, you know, whether it be a, a car, a motorcycle or a motorbike dispatched to do just this one delivery. Well, where the Starship robot shines is in that use case, what it can do is it can be waiting around and when that delivery comes, it's ready to go. And not only is it zero emissions, it's super low energy because it's this small, lightweight device that makes that delivery. Now, the last 50 feet, people refer to between the curb and the front door. So you can make a 2,000 pound vehicle autonomous. And that is a massive technological achievement and they're working on it. And I'm super excited about it. I watch it as a tech fan, but you have to come out to the curb, whereas the delivery person would get out of the car and walk up to your front door. Well, because the robot travels on the sidewalk, it actually comes to your front door. So unlike a road-based autonomous vehicle that still might be high energy, high weight, high mass, the Starship robot can come to where the delivery person would have met you. So that last 50 feet isn't a problem for the Starship. So it can come right up to your door a lot easier than, than a truck, right? It's also good for people with disabilities, the elderly, like seems like there's a market here, right? That can be served in a different way, right? Than people who maybe can't just walk out easily. Are you seeing that as a potential growth area? Yeah, just this week, we launched in a new area in England. And, you know, one of the first comments was, you know, somebody who relies on a mobility device to get around. And, you know, she was saying, like, this is so much safer and easier than me having to go to, they call it the co-op, this is a store in question here, or Tesco, whatever it was, to get milk. What was needed, like, technologically? I mean, for cars, right, there needs to be the LiDAR, right? There needs to be all sorts of technologies. It seems like this is probably a little easier or a smaller version. It looked a lot like the robot was checking both directions before getting into the road because it had to come off the sidewalk. It looked pretty smart about it. What needed to happen for this to be possible? So, the way you think about the technology isn't fundamentally different than the way you would think about it on the road, but it's 
many orders of magnitude safer. When you're going on the road, you have thousands of pounds. It's, you know, what is it? Force equals mass times velocity squared or something like that. And like... Mass times acceleration, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So big vehicle in the road, like going fast, like literally deadly, right? Whereas the robot operates, it's lightweight, it's on the sidewalk. And if the robot did get confused and it hit an edge case, it can just stop. It's only going four miles an hour. It's on the sidewalk. Just stop, right? So I think that premise, yes, you could use the word easier, like solving this autonomous delivery challenge is easier than being safely interacting with human vehicles at 70 miles an hour, whatever it is. But technically, it's, it's very, very similar. Now, we don't use LiDAR. We're able to use less expensive options that allow us to commercialize faster. And very much, you know, Ati, our founder, is a software, literally a software genius, right? And it's about making software do the work because he knew we'd need a lot of these. So how do we use the cheapest off-the-shelf hardware we can find and make the software do the work? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to allow you to scale this business in an economic way. But to answer your earlier question, there's a suite of sensors. It uses, you know, radars, various types of cameras. Some of them have depth perception, uh, ultrasonics, and they all talk to each other to navigate through this bubble of awareness that it creates as it travels down the sidewalk across the street. We cross the street over 100,000 times every single day, and there's pretty much never a human supervising it. That's great. So, looking at some of the customers, so a lot of college campuses, corporate campuses, things with pretty well-defined geographies, right? There's a map that doesn't change too much. It's like, and pretty paved and controlled. What do you need for it to work well? I know you've, you have launched it in some towns um, in Milton Keynes, UK, not, not a very big city. Like, why do you need a location like that? Or what do you need for it to work? So there's about 250,000 people in Milton Keynes. We're also in a place called Northampton. And we're expanding into, I don't want to say the names of the cities because they don't like it when we announce it before they do. But no, we operate in real urban environments. You know, we do create a proprietary 3D map of an area that every time the robot uses the map, it collects information to update the map. So this is simultaneous localization and mapping slam. It's, it's the same concept that you, know, you could use in a road-based self-driving car. Sidewalks don't change very often. But like hedges grow into a sidewalk or, you know, there'll be a moving or non-moving obstacle in a sidewalk. There'll be construction and we can detect that and adapt to it. Seems like this would help bikers, you know, like to know it's like the ways of you guys know where there's problems, right? And mm -hmm. sort of getting around mm -hmm. and in slower technologies. That's a good idea. What did the rollout so far in the UK, what did it teach you about maybe rolling out in the US? What do you think is possible here? Well, we're operating both in the US and in the UK. It just so happens that we grabbed onto different business models first. You know, the US university environment is kind of its own thing. It's pretty much, you know, as an American growing up here, it's like you're 18 years old, I'm getting away from mom and dad. There's certain things they don't let me do in the house that I want to do a lot of, and I'm going to go to college, right? And then, by the way, I'm going to have a bright future as a, as a result. Whereas, you know, and then we have these residential, like mini cities. You know, where the rest of the world doesn't really have that, you know, they, for the most part, will, if they continue their higher education, will do it where they live. It's kind of like you go from high school to college and it's not that big 
transition. So that university business here has has provided a really interesting opportunity for us commercially in the UK because that wasn't there. We went straight to neighborhood groceries. What we've found is that we can do deliveries economically on demand where there were no deliveries before, especially if you get out like out of the city center, right? It actually becomes much more expensive, much more unenvironmental or environmentally challenging to do an on-demand delivery when you start getting out into this semi-urban to suburban density. And it's almost, you know, counterintuitive, but wow, that's a really, you know, from a CO2 standpoint, from a dollar standpoint, that's really expensive and hard problem to solve. But our robots are awesome at it. Let's talk about the CO2 thing. Have you guys kind of done the life cycle, looked at the footprint per per trip? I mean, versus cars, sure, but there's bike, I guess there's some bike deliveries and how have you guys kind of thought about that? Yeah, we have some calculations. I don't know the numbers off that off the top of my head well enough to quote them and get them wrong. But I know that a, an on-delivery trip is, and this is very UK, we need a US version of this. It's about the same amount of electricity that it takes to heat the water in the kettle for a cup of tea. Right. That's a good that's a good one for there. That's good. Yeah. It doesn't really work in America though. So I was like, you know, what does that mean in terms of reheating something in the microwave? I don't know. You'd have to well, or you put it in terms of I don't know, something totally different, like <laughs> different cultural thing. Or to watch Netflix. Just how <laughs> how many Netflix shows does that get me? That's a great idea. <laughs> how many Netflix <laughs> Anyways, for this this series, um, we do a lot of kind of digging into some of the tech and some of the data collection. We've talked a little bit about that. So how how do you think the automated delivery world factors into, you know, what people call industry 4.0 or into kind of modern technological thinking? People have come to expect things immediately. The instant gratification is like, the you know, something we used to talk about, but it, it's a thing. It's like the immediacy of demand fulfillment is, is become a consumer expectation to a level of, of requirement, right? And what we've, we're seeing around the world is for some of these deliveries, there's no equilibrium where we can create a good job for a human and offer this at a price that, that someone wants to pay. So by being able to automate these, right, we're able to fulfill this demand at massive scale and then focus our human energies on, you know, high order type tasks like maintaining the robots and, you know, things like that. How far do these things go? How long do they go on a charge? How long do they go before they need some rework or some, you know, technical help? What does it look like for the robot? Yeah. So, so the, the way we run them is they go about 18 hours on a charge. They are light. That's pretty good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it takes about six hours to charge them. So that's, that's a cycle where we balance. You know, there are some places in the world where we run 24-7 on a given site and we just cycle which charge through when. And battery technology is always getting better, right? So it won't take six hours to charge them forever. But right now it takes us about six hours to charge it, about 18 hours, goes all day. So your deliveries are really, you know, they say how far in over the course of that day, you know, do the math, you know, four miles an hour is, you know, about its max speed, you know, it could go really far. As a practical matter, it's going to be waiting here and there for its next job during the day, but plenty of uh, energy to get through the day because it's like, I think another analogy we used to use is it's similar to a light bulb, but I think that might be the old fashioned light bulb, not the new light bulbs that don't use, you know. It probably is the older ones. Huh. So what, is it a lithium ion? What kind of battery does this look like a 
all of their EVs basically, or is it something different? I believe so. And I'm not technical, so I, yeah. I want to stop where I get dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can get a little dangerous. You said something about, you know, kind of low carbon. Are, do you have solar charging stations? Is that in the works? Like how do these things plug in? Yes, we as a company are in the process of ensuring that all of the energy we use to recharge our, our robots come from renewable sources. So obviously that requires some cooperation with our partners and, and some landlords, et cetera. But that is absolutely something that we're marching towards. We haven't made a public announcement into exactly when we'll be 100% there. But it's one of our core core values as a company. Yeah, I would think a lot of these customers like universities have charging stations, right? They're building around this kind of stuff probably more than some of the cities that you're working in. seems like it would be easier in some of these, again, these kind of contained places. Another use, it seems like with a lot of companies and organizations, there's a lot of manpower transporting things from one place to another within a distribution center, within a company, within a corporate campus. Do you see automated delivery technologies changing how we think about you know, internal delivery within organizations and systems? Well, we have an industrial business. I refer to it in, in Germany and Denmark. So for instance, we have uh, partners who are pharmaceutical companies and they'll produce a pharmaceutical in one production hall on a campus and they'll test it in another. And what we've been able to do is to significantly increase the frequency of the sample collection and testing. So if there's a problem with the quality of that line, you have to destroy everything from the last good test up until, you know, you stop the line, right? So if that was four hours, that's a lot of stuff that you have, a, have to get rid of. But if that was 15 minutes, that's a game changer. So we, we do have customers that do exactly that. We've done work where an assembly line breaks down or the unscheduled maintenance, I think is a euphemism we use for that. And the spare parts are centralized for this whole big campus. So what they'll do is the engineer, while they're starting to take apart the thing that needs to get fixed, they'll notify the dispatch of the parts they're gonna need, they'll put those in a robot and the robot then comes over and they're able to get that, you know, I'm completely making this number up, but imagine they were able to get that assembly line up 17 minutes faster because they didn't have to walk down and get the part and come back. That's a big deal for them. The more regular testing sounds like it's really valuable for companies, right? You, you get a, a better sense without having to put people into the equation, you know, especially in these kind of clean production, right? If you're in a fab in Intel or something, you want a robot's pretty good, right? For bringing it over without having to send someone in. That's right. So I saw like in your title, you do biz dev, sales, but also government relations. What is needed kind of policy-wise? What do you guys want to see for this to be easier for cities and for people to use? Like any innovation, it was impossible for lawmakers to contemplate this technology when they were writing different legislation, you know, sometimes hundred over a hundred years ago. What Starship has always wanted and continues to want is to partner with regulatory environments to create sensible legislation and sensible frameworks that ensure, because we know we're not going to be the only player in this space. We pioneered it, but others are coming and others will follow us. So we want to make sure that municipalities understand how we can benefit the overall community and do so in a safe and responsible way. So it's a very much of a partnership dialogue. We always get permission before we go somewhere. We do not take the ask for forgiveness approach, never have, never will. I think we've created, a, you know, and I'm kind of 
maybe it isn't fair for me to say this about us, but I think we've created a good reputation with regulators and lawmakers that we're there to partner with them and help them understand how they want us to integrate into their communities. Well, I actually never thought of that. Is it technically like if I just went outside and had a robot running around the neighborhood, is that not legal? I, I never really thought about that, that you'd have to really go and ask for permission. I know there's drone, there's airspace issues around, you know, drones for safety reasons, but do you need legal permission in most places to have these things walk in the sidewalk? I'd rather have it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it sounds like it's unclear, right? It's never, no, no law has probably been written about non-human, right? Right. They couldn't contemplate it. So what is it? The legal term we've come, especially in the United States, come out on is personal delivery device, PDD. It's a new category, right? So yeah, sure. Like you, we could have taken the approach of show me the law that says I can't do this. You know, that's not us though. That's not us. Be like, you know, we have something new here. You know, let me show it to you. Let's, you know, fortunately, you know, we've driven like five million kilometers or something like moon and back 13 times, I think we've said, right? So what's good for us is we can trade on our, our wins. It's we've been operating for so long at such scale that, you know, one state, like more than half the states in the in the US now have frameworks, you know, where we can operate. You know, if you're running a government somewhere, you probably have a colleague in a place that already has Starship operating. Right. So you just pick up the phone and call someone you trust and say, what's it like to work with Starship? Are they safe? You know, what do you think of the rules you put in place? Are they working? That's it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Like, how do you make this legal? Because nobody's written laws for completely unmanned. I mean, there's lots of developments on if you're driving certain kinds of vehicles, you know, electric scooters. How fast does it go? Which kind of roads can you go on with those kinds of things? But this is on its own. Yeah. And I would just say it's not a vehicle. And by the way, scooters generally are banned from the sidewalks, despite the fact that you see people on them on the sidewalks. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I want to think about how cities, because a lot of the discussions we've had have been about cities and the flow of people. And there's there's just this huge range of vehicles now, right? There's the Ubers, there's delivery trucks, there's people on bikes, there's the public transport walking. And now you're throwing in some unmanned vehicles as well. Like it's, it's getting more complicated. So, you know, we want to think about how do cities prepare for this kind of mix of mobility. And, you know, there's lots of debates over street and sidewalk space with all this stuff happening. And there's been some proposals about in some cities about having lanes entirely devoted just to delivery vehicles. Is this something you guys are in, in favor of? Would this help? Well, I agree that it's a really important issue for cities to be thinking about the future and how they best allocate this space. Starship robots operate on the sidewalk, right? And we do so in a way that we respectfully share that sidewalk. At this point, for our use case, there's no need to develop a special lane for us. You know, there's already plenty of capacity on the sidewalks for what we're doing. You know, the question was about lanes, but it, but when, I, when you started asking it, I was thinking about how do we think about moving people versus things? It's, it's an important distinction. And if I can move a thing instead of a person, that's probably safer, more environmental, and has less of a congestion impact. So do we really need to send someone there and back to get a thing? Or do we just send a thing? You know, obviously, we as humans all need to go places. That is its own thing. But how many times are we going places that we don't need to be doing? I like the idea of some, your thing can meet you somewhere. You're right. You're going to go have a picnic or something and you can just have it arrive 
separate from you, you know. We see that and encourage that in some of our operating environments because people will be in a park on a sunny day and literally have a picnic delivered to them. That's great. So, have there been any, I mean, now it's been in a bunch of college campuses, a few cities. Have there been any surprises for you guys in how people think to use it? Because it's different to design something and then people have an app and they have an opportunity and maybe they think of things that, you know, you haven't. Have there been any kind of shocks? One of the things that was a pleasant surprise is the level of adoration that the robots receive. And that's on college campuses and that's out in the real world. It's little kids. It's grownups on college campuses. It becomes the second or third mascot on the campus. So that was really a home run for us. And it's so much fun. So that was surprising. The biggest issue of graffiti is like somebody putting like googly eye stickers on the robot. I'm totally serious. We obviously have to take them off. You can't condone graffiti, but like, it's like, oh, really? You know, like that's like the nicest graffiti I've ever seen in my life. This is great. Are any of them, do you have them mascot colored or anything in, in some of the campuses? Have you made them look like mascots? Yeah. No, at this stage, they're, they're all their own look and we have not co-branded any of them yet. It sounds really fun. All right. So we always kind of ask at the end for kind of the lightning round thought of, you know, if you're looking out your window 20 years from now, what do you expect to see or hope to see in this realm? What I expect is you won't even notice how many of these are out there because where we see our robots operating, the vast majority of people make no recognition of them as they see them and pass them. They're going to become part of your everyday life. And they are going to help with urban congestion. They're going to help the environment. And they're going to help you have the things that you want when you want them. Sounds good. It's a good vision. Well, thank you, Ryan, for joining us. This has been really fun, really interesting stuff that's developing. I look forward to getting deliveries in the near future. Thanks for having me. A huge thanks to Ryan for being on the show today and showing us how soon our deliveries might be managed by robots. And a huge thanks to you as well for listening. If you enjoyed something from our conversation, leave us a review and let us know what it was. I'm Andrew Winston, and this has been City Talks by Ford.